Today we'll launch a brand new series. I'm going to do four weeks in a new series. And you know, as a church, we typically are an expository church, meaning I preach through typically one book or one chapter at a time, line by line all the way through. And only occasionally will we step away from that tradition, what we believe to be is the proper way to discover doctrine together so that you can read the whole text in context without pretext. But every once in a while, we'll jump away from that model so as to mobilize one another around a common cause. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to do just that. This series is called Home. And this series is named after the second missional effort that we're going to undertake as a church. When we started this church in 2019... We, we believed that we would be a vertical church, meaning first and foremost, our primary focus was being the kind of people who look straight up to heaven. We weren't going to be a seeker church. We weren't going to be a Baptist church. We weren't going to be a this church or that church. We were just going to be a church whose eyes were fixed upon the throne of Jesus Christ. And that meant that everything that we sing in worship is vertical. We don't sing songs to each other. We sing songs to him, right? Wouldn't it be weird to invite somebody to a dinner party and then only talk about them but never to them? That's sometimes what we do at church, right? We say, Jesus, have your way. Isn't Jesus good? And he's like, I'm right here. Come on. So we sing vertically. We sing worship songs straight up. And everything that we preach is, is, is about how we can encounter the king of kings, how he can infill us and how he can propel us to do great things. Destiny, maybe. Purpose, maybe. Fruit, yes. We want to define ourselves by the terms that the Lord uses to define us. And as a church, we've decided that being vertical was our primary focus. But being the kind of church who only focuses on themselves and on the Lord means that you're not of use to the community around you. Amen? Have you ever met those kinds of churches? They're almost completely isolated. They're like a silo. You knock on the door and they're like, you don't belong. And (laughs) no, you're right. I don't. We want to be the kind of church for whom all people feel like they belong. And we want to be the kind of church who serves our city with great love. But one of the pitfalls of any church, any believer or group of believers, is that there are many, many ways we can help others. Am I right? You and I all have sort of a pet project in our heart, a way in which we love to help others. And when we launched our church, people were like, you're going to do church in the city. Great. You should do homeless ministry. You should do this ministry. You should do this ministry. And I meet people all the time. They come to Beacon and they're like, Pastor, I just started coming last week and I have got a plan for us. This is what we are going to do in 2022. And don't get me wrong, I and the Lord love the heart to serve. But in order to be effective, we've got to be focused. And so our church, primarily vertical, but specially horizontal in the way that we serve our church. We do four things in the way we serve our community, I mean. We do four things. We have four missional efforts. The first one is our care for refugees. That's what you've seen as we've done our toy drive. We do a bike drive. In the coming year, we're going to launch a mentorship program. Our goal is to be partnered with the city and partnering agencies to be the church that serves refugee and immigrant populations in this city. So when they come to the city, the city goes, go to that church. They can help. Amen? That's what the Lord has asked us to do. Number three and number four are coming further down the road as we mature as a church with the right people, the right finances, and the right opportunities. There'll be a safe house for women and children who've been victimized or trafficked. 
and a treatment center free of charge, 30 days inpatient for victims of drug and alcohol addiction. And I hope that you'll join with me in prayer that the Lord would make a way for us to do this. We believe we're supposed to own buildings with staff so that when families are going through something, they can come to the church and the church can help. And if we focus on those things, then we can do those things very well. The second missional effort, what we launched today. And it's been something near and dear to my heart. I remember the day I felt like the Lord had shared with me this was what we were going to do in our second or third year as a church. And I remember just weeping. Like, you know when you cry and it's embarrassing? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know when sometimes you're moved emotionally and you can totally hold it together by dabbing one tear with your middle finger? You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes, Lord. You know that? This was not that. We were in the middle of a season as a family where we were trying to get our steps in. Do you remember? Everybody in our family, we bought our little little step trackers. And my beautiful wife had me out there pushing 15, 20,000 steps a week. I'm telling you, I was tired and I'm walking. And the Lord says, what's true religion? What do I care about the most? And I remembered this verse from a kid and I remembered orphans and widows. And the Lord said, I want you as a church to be the church who focuses on what I focus on. So today we launch a new ministry. It's called Home. And it will be a ministry that we launch and work side by side with a partner agency called Project 127. The goal of this ministry is that we will help Beacon families, God's very best married families, go through the process to be trained and certified to become foster parents and adoptive parents in our city. Amen. Our goal as a church in the first seven years of our church is to permanently place 100 children in Beacon Homes forever. Amen? Next week, our partners from Project 127 will be here. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to be preaching on God's principle of adoption around this ministry called home so that you and I can see what the Lord sees about this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you today to hear the Lord's heart so that you can pray this prayer. Is it me? That's it. I just want your posture at the end of today to look to the Lord and say, is it us? And if it's not us yet, then what can we do to provide homes for children who don't have homes? Let me give you some statistics so you know where we're headed. Children are placed in the foster care system in our country due to to abuse and neglect. They're either hurt or not cared for. In 2016, more than 273 children entered the U.S. foster care system in just that year. In that same year, over 437 children were in the system, and 117 of them, 117,000 of them were eligible for permanent adoption. The average age of a child in foster care is eight and a half years old. On average, children remain in foster care for 20 months. And over 20,000 youth every year exit the foster care system without anyone who is called their family. 
In Colorado, on average, every day, 10 kids enter the system. And right now, there are over 350 children in the foster care system in Colorado. Next week, and then the fourth week of this month, when our friends from Project 127 are going to be here, they're going to have a booth. And if the Lord has pricked your heart, I'm going to encourage you to sign up and then go through the process of going to the info night. And if the Lord says do it, then taking the next step to get trained, and then the next step, and then the next step. And let's see what the Lord does. Chanel and I are going to do this too. It's been near and dear to our heart. And I'd never ask you to go anywhere that we weren't willing to go ourselves. Church, hear me. This is the biggest ask I will ever make of you. I'll ask you to serve in refugees, and it might mean one Saturday for the toy drive in December. I'll ask you to sow money when it comes time to buy a building for a treatment center. I'll ask you to pray that we find the right staff for a safe house. But this, this I'm asking you to consider opening your home forever, to being a mom and or a dad to a child who has neither. And I know it's a big ask. Please don't feel coerced. Please end today by asking the Lord, is it me? Amen? If you have your Bibles, open it up to James chapter 1. James 1, and I'm going to read verses 22 through 27 today. James 1, verse 22, it reads like this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The title of today's message is True Religion, not the genes, <laughs> but the kind of religion that pleases God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today, and I thank you that you've, you've brought us here. This is the right room, and these are the right people for this word. So Father, right now, we just give you complete authority, not that you needed us to give you permission but maybe that we needed to give ourselves permission to say, I have no agenda but the Lamb's agenda. Father, speak to our hearts today. Challenge us in a mighty way. May we leave this place new. Amen. I love the book of James. Absolutely love the book of James. When I was at the Denver Dream Center serving as a teaching pastor, I did a men's Bible study on a Monday night, and we walked through the book of James, line by line all the way through. And it was one of the most wonderful encounters for me in ministry. Every Monday night, we'd meet at this old, freezing, cold, broken down church, and men would drive, some of them as far as two hours away, to come to this Bible study. There was no 
worship. Lucas knows what I'm talking about. Lucas was there. There was no worship. There was no lights. There was just me on a stool and them in their word, and we would discover the Bible together. And the reason that it worked, I think the reason that it was so profound, is for a moment in time, men from all walks of life and all parts of this state gathered together to be pushed beyond their comfort zone. That's what I love about the book of James. If you read the book of James, can we just say this? Like, he's not nice. Like, James is rude. He's mean. He's tough. Maybe that's why I like it. I love gospel that pushes me, challenges me. Can we be honest? Like, sometimes I even like it when the Bible hurts my feelings. When it confronts me or convicts me in the midst of my sin, and I'm like, oh, yes, that hurts. I got to do that. Lord, help me do that. Here's what you need to understand about this epistle, epistle from, from James is that it is what I believe to be the sort of meat and potatoes of, of how we do this thing that we do called faith. And the reason I think that it puts some skin on the game is, is primarily because of the author through which the Holy Spirit writes this epistle. You should know about James, James the author of this epistle. This is not James of, of the John and James son of Zebedee. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. I need you to put that in perspective for just a second. How many of you have half-siblings or any sibling who thinks they're just the cat's meow? Like, do you have like a favored child in your family? And you're just like, you're amazing. Yes, they love you way more. Great. Now be Jesus's brother. Right? I mean, you think they get on their, your nerves when they used to get A's and got a job right away and all that stuff. Like, Jesus is walking on water. James is like, yeah, I know, mom. He's great. He's perfect. Literally, he's perfect. What would that have been like? To be Mary and Joseph's son and Jesus' brother as Jesus is becoming. I mean, it would have been really hard for me. And in fact, we know it was really hard for James. He was one of Jesus' biggest critics in the early parts of his ministry. In fact, when Jesus goes back to his hometown and he says a prophet is without honor in his hometown, he's talking about James. He's like, yo, I just, I don't know if you know this, but like I'm operating in power. A dove came on me. John the Baptist baptized me. I got the juice, bro. And James is like, whatever, dude. Seriously. Because you know how it is when your family comes home from the holidays and they want to tell you how great they are and you're like, just do your chores. Take out the trash. I've been taking out the trash every week. Like James is not impressed. James is a skeptic. And yet if I read this epistle, this is no skeptic. This is a man who's fully convinced about who Jesus is and what this gospel thing means. What's the difference? You should know that at the time of this writing, James is not just a convinced or devout follower of Jesus Christ. He's actually the bishop of the Christian church in Jerusalem. He's like the leader of the church. Like as Paul plants these smaller churches throughout the Mediterranean, there's a home base and James is the pastor. When he writes this letter, it's mean because he means it. How did that happen? 
you should know between the transition of being a skeptic of Jesus and being a bishop of the church in Jerusalem, there is a period of discovery, change, conversion that we all go through that was for James marked by prayer. In fact, his nickname was Old Camel Knees. I know. Go ahead. Get it out. The legend has it that he was known as Old Camel Knees because he was such a man of prayer who in that day didn't pray like many of us pray while we're driving or in the bathroom or just whenever we get a chance. But he prayed always and forever without question or derivation from his knees. And he prayed so heavily and so consistently from here that his kneecaps split and flattened so that when he walked, he looked like he had camel's knees and it affected his gait. Think of the devotion to prayer that he was willing to let his body become deformed so he could get more time with the one who formed his body. I mean, he was... He was a man of prayer. And now, I mean, you know, like, nobody prays like this anymore. I mean, we teach kids sometimes to do this. And if you're a parent and you've gotten down with them, like, after 30 seconds, you're like, I am too old. <laughs> I'll do one knee. <laughs> but Tebow it. That's so... <sighs> Out of that commitment... And out of that willingness to be in a place of discomfort came a deep and abiding revelation into James's life that said, oh, he is the Christ. Oh, we have to live differently. And so when James writes this letter, and, and I'm hoping that maybe in 2024, we'll get to walk through the whole book together because there's such beautiful meat here on how and which to walk out our faith. But, but today, limited as we are with just the time that we have, I want to push you to consider that this letter from James is an invitation to us to live a life of integrity around our faith. This is what it is. It says, you say you believe, prove it, prove it. Do something about it. That's why you know the famous phrase from this verse, for faith without works is dead. Many people think, does that mean you have to work it out? No. He says, work it out if it matters to you. And so what he does in this moment is, is, is James essentially is getting us to the place of, of an invitation to, 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 to align ourselves, to walk in integrity with what we believe in, what we do, so that what we believe in, what we do is worth sharing. And the first thing he does is invites us to first and foremost align ourselves with the word. Verse 22, he says, be ye doers and not just hearers. I think you could just tell yourself that every single day because I think all of us slide into this, don't we? You come to church and you're like, fantastic, amen, and then nothing changes. The first thing that he says is you've got to align yourself with the word. If you're going to hear this thing, then you've got to believe this thing and do something about it. Align yourself with the word. And here's what I think James might say with this. You have to agree with what this thing says. You can't just hear it. It can't be background noise. It can't be a distraction. This better not be white noise. This better be taking root in your heart. 
And he uses the example of somebody that goes to a mirror, looks at themselves, forget what they look like, has to come back. Have you ever done that before? You ever like looked and then, and then had to turn back around? Isn't that weird how your brain can be engaged in an activity, but simply not even a little bit engaged in that activity? Have you ever driven down the highway and then, do you know what I'm talking about? You ever just be driving and nine miles has passed and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Where am I? Make the wrong turn, end up somewhere far. How is it possible that we can be there but just not be there? James says you got to be mindful of this thing. If you're really going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then you've got to be there. And he says one of the most important ways to consider doing this is that you are mindful of your tongue. So if you're a hearer of the word, you should be a doer of the word, but don't be someone who hears it and says you do it. Be someone who does it. It's interesting because I think the reason that James is pushing us here in this moment is because he recognizes that many of us do this. We're like, oh, yes, so good, wonderful, thank you, Lord. And then people ask about what you read, what you practice, what you believe, and you've got this sort of narrative around you. How many of you have ever tried to start a Bible reading plan at the beginning of a year and failed? Do we have anybody honest in here? Right? Day three, four, five, yes. You missed Sunday or, or the Monday and then all of February. And someone says, how's your Bible reading plan going? And you go, pretty good. Have you ever done that? What is the, what? Are we lying? You're lying about reading the Bible. You are going to, no, listen. You, (laughs) it is a common issue, common struggle, part of the human condition to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and profess the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, but not walk the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, be mindful that you don't give lip service to this thing. But here's the other push. It's so weird here. Because in verse 26, he makes this other push. The Holy Spirit also speaks through James to a different kind of person, but we might find it's the same person. He says in verse 26, if anyone who thinks he is religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He is talking here to the kind of person who is a Christian with a foul mouth. Can we do this today? You ready? You're like, really? First Sunday in January? Yes. There's a common shirt I, see on, I used to see on social media when people are selling it. It says, I'm a Christian who cusses sometimes. You ever see that? Yeah. God's not pleased by that shirt, just so you know. He is talking to those of us who say, out of your mouth comes the power of life and death. It is the profession of your faith that declares and directs who you are and where you go. And if you think it's possible for you to speak life and cuss, speak death or curse, you're mistaken. These two things have to align. That's why he says you must align yourself with the word. The word that comes out of your mouth has to be this word. Now, you might think, okay, James is pushing back on some folks who have a foul mouth, but he is also pushing back on those of us who have, you know, the kind of lip service that you tell the Lord you mean it, but you don't really mean it. In the Holy Spirit's eyes, whether you're a liar or a curser or or, or you just kind of talk a sweet religious game but don't live it, it's the same thing to God. It shows the posture of someone whose mouth is not aligned with their heart. I mean, you say you believe, but you don't, 
you don't really believe. Or worse, it shows the posture of someone whose mouth is aligned with their heart. So you say you believe, but you do not believe. I want to be totally honest with you and transparent. Uh, whenever I teach something in our church, the Lord lets me go through it <laughs> the week prior. Um, my gift is, is talking, sometimes too fast and oftentimes too long. But the Lord has given me a gift to see and to speak. And one of the biggest things I've struggled with my whole life has been a foul mouth. When I was younger, I used to think it was cool. But I remember being like 10 one year and just being like, God, help me stop cussing. I just always had a foul mouth. And I go through seasons. Do you do this in your own life where like some seasons you're good, you don't struggle with that little thing, and then some days you fall back into it. Whatever it is, like your little, you know your little white lie, your little white sin that you don't think is that big of a deal. Sometimes you're fine, and then other times you're not. You ebb and flow. I, I go through that sometimes. And this week, man, the Lord was just on me. He's like, you going to talk to these people about good and getting right with their tongue and aligning their speech with their walk, with their word. You got to make sure that you got the same thing. And I was convicted. Chanel was convicting me. <laughs> Husbands, your wife will often be the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's God's invitation for you to hear him earlier. <laughs> Amen. It, it matters to God what you say. And it matters that what you say is also what you do. But it mostly matters that what you do and what you say are aligned with what he said and what he did. And you have to start there. And the Holy Spirit speaks to the apostle. And in verse 27, he makes some clear instructions on how to align ourselves around our faith. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions. What he's doing in this moment is saying, after you've aligned yourself with the word, after you've agreed with it, made sure that speech and walk and life align, then you need to model, follow the model of the word. The written word? No, the living word. These instructions here to serve orphans and widows are built primarily after the life of James' half-brother. He says, I got to be honest with you. If we're really trying to figure out what religion is, let's just do what Jesus did. He walked in perfect compassion with those around him and cared for all those, hear me, especially those who could do nothing for him. He reached out specifically to the vulnerable. He sat with people who were in deep trouble. And that is who he made time for. This word, visit orphans and widows. I want you to understand what this originally was. This, this letter was written in Greek. And, and the word visit here, it actually means to examine and then remedy. It doesn't mean to show up and do what we do in 21st century Christianity, which is like have a volunteer opportunity and then brag about it for six months afterwards. No, what this means is, is to arrive, 
to be present for however long it takes to gain a full understanding of the issue and then, ready, fix the issue. That's what it means. That's why every encounter with Jesus has a resolution, a real resolution. It's not a superficial resolution. It's not an anecdotal story. It's not a bandage on a wound. It is fully healed, no scar, completely restored. The model that Jesus lives, that God calls us to, is to attend to those who are suffering. I have to do it all the way. To attend to those who are suffering to sit and cancel your plans, to put your phone away, not to tell them what they're going to need, but to listen to them as they tell you what they need and then meet the need. He says, pure religion, meaning religion that looks just like Jesus. And an undefiled religion, meaning religion that has the right motive, looks like this. I'm going to go to the vulnerable because no one else will. That's what Jesus did. That, that's, that's what he did for you. He came and found you in the midst of your sin and at your weakest and most vulnerable. And here's the deal. There is no one who can help you. No one who can save you from the predicament that is your sin sickness. There is not one plan of action, strategy, or 10-step program that can get you out of the mess that is sending you straight to hell for the wages of sin are death. You're doomed without Jesus. And Jesus said, there's nothing they can give me and no one that can help them. It's me and I'm going to run to them. And I'm going to be present, and I'm going to examine it, and I'm going to find out all of the issues. And then one by one, I'm going to solve the problem in their life. That's what he did for you. And so when his brother writes and says, if you really want to walk out this faith and you need to walk out this faith, then when you do it, it needs to look just like Jesus did it. I think this is probably the hardest part for us because it's really inconvenient to live like this. Am I right? Like it's, oh, I might be one of the worst at this. Like it's really inconvenient to like just abandon whatever was on the plate for today and help until the problem is solved. It just doesn't fit with our 21st century plan. We're busy. Let me tell you a story about how we walk through this. My wife comes from a big Hispanic family, and I come from a smaller white family, and we are quiet and tidy. <laughs> and my wife's family is big and loud. And so when we go to family events with her family, First of all, it says it starts at 6, but no one shows up till 9, and I still can't figure that out. I'm like, babe, we got to go. She's like, it's 7.30. I'm like, we're late. There's going to be no food. She's like, they haven't even started cooking the food. We show up. We get there at 9. There's people there. You, I don't know if you know this, but in my wife's Hispanic family, at least, you have to say hi to everyone. Amen. Everyone. 
And we go to some dinners and sometimes there's 50 people and I'm kind of an introvert. And so sometimes after like the 37th person, I'm ready to go. And we're not even started yet. And we have the party and it's wonderful and it's gregarious and it's fun and you spend time together and it's deep and meaningful and I get to try all sorts of new things and new foods and new stories. And then it's time to go, which for me was hours ago. And she says, we're almost ready. And so... I go get the coats, <laughs> and I put her coat on, and she says, oh, I don't need that yet. I thought you said it was time to go. I put my coat on. I put the boy's coat on. You'll see us at a party like this sometimes. My wife is talking to everybody, and the three of us, like the stooges, are standing by the door, <laughs> and she's saying goodbye, and early on in our relationship, she would say goodbye to all of the people, and the people would say, um, they call her Chata. Chata, does your husband not like us? Why hasn't he said goodbye? And I'm like, I just said hello like 10 minutes ago. And what I've gotten to learn in this process is my agenda really doesn't matter. My timeline, my nice and tidy plan, it's got to go if I really want to be a part of this family. If you really want to be a part of this family, you might have some plans that they just got to go. Some of the greatest plans and strategies that you have for your life right now, they're, can I say this? They're just in the way. They're in his way. And he's aligning people in your life over and over, opportunities for evangelism, opportunities to love and to connect, to serve people so that they see Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you're so gosh darn busy and you got to be somewhere. They missed him because you thought you were going to miss an appointment. True religion is this, inspecting and then remedying the issue. It's a missional call. It's an outward expression of an inward change. And you might say, I gotta be honest with you, and that sounds hard. I don't know if I'm ready. James writes to us at the end of that verse with a little twist. It seems that the whole conversation is missional. He's talking about how we should serve those outside of us. And it's a challenge to us. And it might seem like an inconvenience to us. And James stops it in this moment. And he says, I, I need you to understand that beyond just this compassionate service, which is your good and reasonable service, you should also be mindful of your mindset while you do this. So here's my push to you today, is if we're talking about going deep and doing great things, if I'm pushing you over the next four weeks to consider that you might be asked by God to open your home, to raise a child who has none, and you bristle, because it's inconvenient. I want to tell you that the Lord might suggest to you today, you need to re-examine your relationship with him. I know it's a really hard message today. I get it. 
But if your response to the Great Commission, your response to James's argument about what real, pure, and undefiled religion, the kind that pleases the Father, sounds to you like a delay in your timeline or a distraction from your goals, I want to tell you that you might have the wrong timeline and your goals might be off. Because what he says is, true religion is visiting the orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from this world. The last part of this invitation that James makes to us about living in integrity in our faith is this. Make sure that you are also examining yourself with the word and not the world. The Christian in this room today who was convinced of God's deity and his power should be the kind of Christian who has open hands and an open heart and prays this prayer, I don't have an agenda. What do you want to do today? That's the real prayer of a Christian. Did you know that? I know that we, the modern church, has told you to pray six steps to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit or to pray seven things so that you can find your purpose and go propel towards your success. I know we've co-opted the principles of the kingdom and of the word so that you and I can find a way to material and worldly success, but I'm going to tell you right now, none of that matters. None of that matters. The reason this exists is so that you can align yourself with the Lord, so you can model yourself after the Lord, so you can continually examine yourself in the Lord so that you are used by the Lord, not propelled by the Lord. Hear me. He's not on your team. He's not on your team. You're supposed to be on his team. And you and I, as Christians, we get frustrated and we say, Lord, have your way. And he says, do this. And we say, that's too much. And he says, then stop asking me for me. You want all of my benefit, but you don't want any of my reality. He says, true religion is to serve like this. And to keep oneself unstained, unpolluted, unperverted, uninfluenced by the whim and whimsy of this world that says you got to make it. You got to be famous. You got to be rich, big house, big car. That's what matters. He said, Pastor, wait a minute. You're going to tell me I'm not supposed to be successful in my career? Absolutely not. I'm never going to tell you that. But what would it gain the man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You want to tell me I can't have a big house? Heck no. When do we get to have fellowship dinner at your house? I can't wait. I'm not telling you not to win. I'm telling you to change the measurement of your victory. It's not this. Woo, it's this. It's up. Am I closer to God? Am I more like him? He's using me to a greater effect. He says, keep yourself unstained from this world. How do we do that? So glad you asked. We keep ourselves unstained by keeping ourselves focused on the word. By keeping ourselves at his mercy. A prayer that I've become accustomed to praying, and I don't encourage you to do it unless you think you're ready, is Lord Deal harshly with me. When I was in bivocational leadership, I got to work in advertising and then do part-time ministry. It was so fun. And it required something of me. 
And then when I, when I walked into full-time ministry and I got to, got to be a teaching pastor, it was my job to preach five to six nights a week to small groups and homeless shelters and halfway houses. It required more of me. And when the Lord called me to lead a church, he said, are, are, you, are you sure I have all of you? And you know when he asks those questions, you're like, totally. And he's like, are you, are you sure? And I wasn't. And over time, I recognized that if I had a blind spot, that blind spot would grow. And if I was ever really called to stand before you and help you become who God's called you to be, help the two of you fall in love and build a marriage that matters forever and ever, amen. If I was ever called to love you and call you out of the world and call you out of the world, then I was supposed to be out of the world completely. And so I started praying this prayer about 18 months ago, frequent, infrequently and more frequently, which is, Lord, deal harshly with me. Do whatever it is that you need to do to fix me, burn out of me what is unlike you. Because I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to do this. And as a result, the Lord, because he's faithful, has done it. And the reason I tell you not to pray this prayer until you're literally ready is because he is mean. Sometimes God's just plain mean. Sometimes God will call you on your bull right then and there, and he'll use people you don't like to call it out. And you get to heed it. True religion is this. What I believe matches what I say, matches what I do. And what I do cares for those who need it with no expectation of return. And the entire time I'm on this journey, I am asking the Lord, deal harshly with me. Examine me. Expose me. That's true religion. That's what James says. He says it's missional, 100%. But your mission is ineffective. It's not personal. If you're not willing to let the Lord break your heart, then you won't have his heart when you serve. The average age of a child in foster care is eight and a half. And the average age that a child becomes adoptable is typically between nine and 11. And that is the age when most people stop adopting. Most adoptions happen for children under the age of three. It makes sense. Most people want to they want a baby. And the great curse of this whole system is that just when a child is becoming less and less likely to be adopted is when they are coming to cognition that they're unworthy of being adopted. You see, at four, you just don't really understand it. But at 10, when no one's calling, you finally understand it. This week... I'm asking you to see that child 
And if you're married, I'm asking the two of you to pray and ask the Lord, is it us? The word is clear, this is who we care for. The word is clear, if you say you care what he cares for, then care what he cares for. And if this is inconvenient, go back and ask him what he has to remove because this church is going to practice true religion and we are going to provide a home for kids. Your prayer? Is it me? Can you do that? Y'all real quiet this week. I know it's cold outside, but I'm gonna push you as hard as I can. I wanna pray for you real quick, and then we're gonna worship and get out of here. Heavenly Father, we, um, we just, we can't really afford to have another year where we play fake religion. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's that pretending we believe is completely worthless. That's what your word says. It says when we're the kind of people who give lip service, we're just practicing worthless religion. And God, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't, I don't want to do it if it doesn't count. So Father, this is our year. This is our year to do something new. And God, you've asked us to launch a brand new ministry that would care for those who are in most need, to consider fostering, to consider adopting children. God, before we do any of that, we ask that you deal harshly with us. Would you right now, in the privacy of our own seat, no one is looking around. Would you speak very clearly to us about where we have failed you, where we're misaligned, where what we say and what we do are not congruent. God, help us to feel that conviction. Father, in the name of Jesus, we repent. God, I'm sorry for saying a thing but not doing a thing. I'm sorry for pretending. I'm sorry for being religious, but not a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you give me a fresh start today? Would you give me a new heart today? Would you renew in me a right spirit? Would you give me the courage to say, is it me? Is it me? In Jesus' name.